0: Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 132. Today we've got our Saturday WordPress panel, and we're talking how to further your web education. What are some great resources to to further your web education? And uh, I want to let the panel introduce themselves. Uh, Morton, who are you?
1: Hey, I'm Morton uh senior staff author at LinkedIn Learning and Lynda com. Uh and I live in Vancouver, Canada. I do a lot of WordPress stuff right now. I'm working on uh or contributing to the new default theme for WordPress. So oh, very I good. Just submitted a bunch of massive pull requests that probably will be ignored. <laughs> Because I have very strong opinions about things like CSS. And I think maybe other people disagree somewhat with my strong opinions. But you know, we all try oh, to well. do our part.
0: Exactly. Jackie, who are you?
2: Hi, I'm Jackie DeLeo with Jackie DeLeo Design. I'm a WordPress designer and developer in Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: How are you holding up? Uh, I, I
2: uh, we're good know- today. Everything's fine. Yeah, just some rain.
0: Very good. Very good. And Kim?
2: I'm Kim Shivler. I'm
3: a WordPress developer, actually more of a, a overall business developer who teaches people how to build online courses and then maximize them to increase their business
0: very good and and how are you holding up today
3: I'm doing great I evacuated for the hurricane didn't technically have to but actually I'm glad we did went out had fun with some friends um you can see Pebbles behind me the cats are still not really thrilled because cats don't enjoy car rides at least mine don't so they're all still a little miffed about their uh, adventure but we're fine it's sunny again and Uh, My room's a little dark because I still have my shutters up. So tomorrow I'll be out taking down shutters.
0: Well, we're glad you're here and we're glad you're safe. And Jonathan, who are you? Oh, hi there, folks. I'm the founder of
4: WP Tonic. We're a maintenance, security, updating, small job firm. Um, We only help people with WordPress. We're a boutique maintenance company, so if that's interested, go to the website,
0: learn more, and um, sign up. Very good, and I am John Locke. I run a small WordPress consultancy here in Sacramento called Lockdown Design, and I specialize in helping people with local SEO and WooCommerce. Um, Before we get into today's main subject, we have... Uh, a trio of WordPress stories. And the first one that I think we should talk about because it ties into our main topic is an article by Chris Lemma called The Future of E Learning. Uh, Morton, what were your thoughts on this article?
1: Sure. Like,
0: he
1: basically says, Everything that is accurate, like there's nothing wrong with what he says. It's, um, I think, yeah, I've worked for an e-learning company. <laughs> this is what we do. Uh, the exactly. e-learning is growing rapidly. Uh, it's it's an extremely competitive field. Um, I, I'm being a little dismissive because uh, the underlying tone of the article is something like, "You should start your own e-learning company." That's like you should start making your own car... Like, you shouldn't start your own car company unless you have significant resources at play. It's a really, really, really tough field to enter into because there are major, major, major players like major universities and gigantic social media platforms and, uh, you know, entire corporations like Microsoft or Adobe that are already in this field. That said... All these platforms are currently looking for authors. So the idea of using the web to teach is a great one, but you have to kind of figure out how to fit yourself into it in such a way that you'll actually have success. Now, there are great success stories of people who are doing this on their own, including uh, Wes Bose and, um, and uh, the, uh, what does he call this? The uh, JavaScript for WordPress course um, that Zach has uh, running. Yes. Uh, but, they are what? What is it called? The uh, the um, uh, like the, the, they are the uh, omission that verifies the rule. I don't know what that's called in English. Something like that, right? Most of the, the most most of the people who try to do this on their own uh, will spend an enormous amount of effort doing something that <clears throat> will not necessarily succeed, unless you use uh, you, you do it in a smart way. So uh, what I recommend people do for their clients whether or not they want to publish this live is uh, to make training videos for their clients for the applications they built for them. That's a really smart thing to do because it's much easier for a client to go, I can't get this to work. Oh, here's a video that shows me how it works. Than to say, call you or send an email and then you try to in the email explain, then you go to the top right-hand corner and click on this button and then they go to the top left-hand corner and they're like, there's no button there. So, you know, Preaching to the choir, yeah. Preaching
0: to the choir, um, Kim. I'd like to ask your thoughts because you know you teach people how to build online courses.
3: Yeah, as a an, and an e-learning creator, going back to the CBT days when he was talking about computer-based training systems, I built CBT training. Um, I, I again, I think everything he said was. Accurate. I think it was. I think he. You know, if you look at my slide deck from uh, WordCamp LAX and the upcoming WordCamp Sacramento, a lot of those points are there on creating it. I um, Morton, I didn't pick up that I thought he was telling everyone to create an e-learning company. I think he. I, I think he embraces business people teaching you know creating their online course which would go along with what you said uh doing a video training for your customers if you're doing and and of course for people who know me because I'm very focused on I, I just I, I kind of thought it didn't go far enough since I am, I'm very focused on where's the future of e-learning I loved where he was talking about breaking it down into the very small bits. That's going to be more and more critical as we grow because people do have less uh, our span of attentions just going. Um, but I think it's even more than that. I think it's, I, I think he talked about it from the span of attention. It's also that I understand now from learning concepts that micro learning and being able to grab little bits of just what you need. It's really how we learn best. As opposed to watching 45-minute videos. It's not even just attention span. It's right. If you're if you're gonna to go to WordPress and you want to, you know, okay, I teach beginners, so you guys laugh. But one of my beginners goes in and they just want to learn how to put in an image, they don't want to watch a whole long thing all about WordPress, et cetera. They want the four steps to put in an image, they want it in video, and then Where I think he didn't go far enough was he didn't explain that people are much more demanding a full experience, not just an interactive experience, which he did point out, but a full experience in that just that video is not enough. You're also going to want the written steps to refer back to because that's your quick learning. That's where, you know, I don't want to then go back and watch even a four minute video. Mm -hmm. If I can refer back to four written steps and have it right in front of me. So that was, you know, kind of where I, where, where I took it. That I loved what he said, but I would take it even further. And of course, that goes, you know, mainly. But where where I teach, I would absolutely agree with you, Morton. Don't try to build the whole thing on yourself. Even if you want to build your own course yourself and do it in WordPress, the way I teach you, it, which is just one of the ways that one of the options I teach people. Don't try to build everything yourself. There's a lot of plugins and things that can. Uh, facilitate it you do the videos and the content plug it in but even then you're right just because you put it out there the the competition is crazy you've got to know how to market it and make sure it's reaching your audience properly for example I thought your audience your excuse me I thought your example was perfect if you're already building this process for people like a lot of my customers are business coaches right they've already got those people coming to them every month if they give them online courses as part of that they've got the audience and that is a success for them
0: now just on definitely
1: the, just on the length thing uh, yeah. if i make a video that's longer than 7 minutes i have to justify it i'm the same agreed it's like i have to actually explain there's a reason why this is like the process is just too long it's not possible to make it shorter this it's true any time Ideally, I think any small or any concept that can be contained in three to five minutes must be contained in three to five minutes because that is already stretching what people are willing to watch.
3: Right, and if it can be done in one, do it. You know, (laughs) if if this lesson is one minute, some of my lessons, the video is one minute. Then you can do what you needed to do for that lesson, boom, go.
0: I think those are really valid points. I I, I think... um, the shorter the video, the more likely that all of it's going to be watched. Um, Jackie, what were your major takeaways from this article?
2: Uh, I agree with what Morton and Kim were saying. One of the one of the things that I kind of disagree with is this whole consuming all of this on mobile. I use an iPad and I and I watch Linda videos like a like a nut. You know, I mean, I just consume an awful lot of e-learning content from Linda and other sources too. And I'm definitely a video learner, so for me, I struggle a little more with having to read a bunch of complicated text. I think it depends on what courses and what content you're trying to consume. If I want to learn how to do CSS animation, and I'm watching a course on that, or how to configure and set up Gulp for a workflow. I'm not going to be watching that on my phone. I know people are saying everybody's mobile and you're de- I can't see it. I, I, you know, for me, I need something bigger. I struggle on my iPad to sometimes see code examples um, clearly so that I can read them. I have to pause them and kind of look at them. So I think uh, it depends on what it is you're learning. I definitely agree that the smaller chunks of um, content are better because Number one, you can go back and rewatch it if you needed. If you didn't grasp the concept completely. You can jump around later once you're familiar with the whole overall course content and say, you know, I'd like to go back and revisit that. I think those are, are definitely great. I like a little more interactivity. I do like that. I've taken some treehouse courses and they have some really good questionnaires that you, uh, quizzes that you go through after you get through each little section. And they're much more technical videos too. So I would say that, um, you know, that 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 does um help there as far as retention goes you're watching something, then you're getting to do something. My challenges with that is again, on the iPad, they a lot of times want me to type in some code examples, and i'm just i it doesn't work very well doing that, so you end up having to go back to your desktop for stuff like that. So I think you know you just need to be mindful of what it is you're consuming so that you're you know so that you'd be consuming it on the appropriate um device or. Uh, And I I think that does make a difference. I don't think everybody's going to be learning on their phone. I I just really don't.
3: I agree with that, Jackie. I think that's really good. I think that actually brings up something I hadn't thought about or when I was going through it is if you are developing a course, whatever you're doing, kind of cluing in for where is my audience most likely to watch? Because you're right with code examples. It's crazy, but If you're one of my fitness instructors who teaches exercises, very often those are on the phone because people are in the gym with the phone watching and doing their exercises. So for him, I would say he needs to be more mobile focused than those of us who are, yeah, I'm not going to take a coding thing on this. I'm going to have my iMac.
4: Yeah. um, Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, John. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just got really mixed feelings about what the article said and what the panel have said. Really, um, obviously, yeah, you know, like websites, um, things have become more mobile, and if you think the content is appropriate to be consumed on mobile devices, that content is going to have to be produced probably in a in a different way linked to the device which you think it's mostly going to be consumed on but on the other hand to say that all like what jackie said like all um a lot of these courses aren't suitable to be consumed on a mobile device so i kind of disagree with chris there because you did get the kind of Impression, And it was, compared to some of his other articles, it was a more shorter one. Um, um, but you did get the kind of impression from the article, and I'm sure if he was on the show, he would um, um, be quite vigorous in expanding what he really meant in the article. Um, but, you know, we had um, Zach on, Zach Gordon, on episode 104, folks. Do go to the website and listen to that episode because um he, you know um zach has managed to build um a niche um course quite successful successfully obviously his experience with treehouse helped enormously and also he's got the financial resources and sponsorship to allow him to do that but um another thing just to end is um, in a way WP Tonic is a educational it's not your typical course but there's an educational element in a lot of the things we do on WP Tonic um, another thing that comes to me is the interview on the mat report with um, Nathan Barry of Convert Kit. you know he produced a couple of books that were about um, um design and about design for the um iphone basically and that gave him the financial resources to start convert kit but that was educational um you know he made a lot of money um, by producing those books seemingly um so what is education and what isn't what is he learning and what isn't it's all kind of jumbled well, up, isn't
3: it i think it's Okay, I addressed some of this in my presentation at WordCamp LA Hex um, because yeah it educational e-learning is the tough one to define right? Educational can be anything it can be a blog post, it can be a conversation between two people, it can be a book, it can be <coughs> just a video right? Where I break it down on the online course piece is I define a course as, you know, and again, my background is education, so I'm a little more traditional, but a course, whether it's online, offline, et cetera, has to have certain levels of options. So it's got to have interaction, it's got to have um, concepts presented in multiple ways because we know people learn in different ways. Whether or not, it's argument within the education field on whether or not that's true as far as the way their brain is wired, but we 100% know that people have preferences for it. So Mm -hmm. some people need to hear something. Some people want the video. People then will also want, as I said, text or images to refer back to because they tie together so that we're touching them in multiple ways. So if we're talking pure courses, I would define that as what they would need. But as far as you're right, Jonathan, as far as just learning and educational, that doesn't have to be a course that can be anywhere. Any method that you are presenting information to someone can be an educational experience.
0: My biggest takeaways from this article, Um, like Jackie was saying, a lot of people are on their phones, but it's really going to depend what the course material is like, whether you're going to consume it on your phone or whether you're going to use your, your desktop or your laptop. If it's a highly technical thing, you're probably going to be at your desktop. But as Kim said, if you're doing like a fitness course or maybe it's like a a cooking course or something like that, or something where you can learn directly from your phone then that's, definitely something that would be more convenient. I think that most e-learning sites should probably have some sort of like mobile friendliness at this point. And for the larger ones, maybe that even means something like a, you know, an app or something like that to make it easier. Here's where the bar really, you know, starts to raise is when you talk about having it be interactive and being able to uh, choose your own path and then adding gamification on both a national and a local level. Cause this is something he's talking about. Uh, a lot of and he mentioned some large sites here where you can compete against your friends, similar to something like what swarm does with uh, check-ins you're competing against the other people that are on your friends list. Uh, that might not be something that a smaller e-learning site would do, but definitely like a larger one. Um, and then also like being able to choose your own tracks. I know that like several larger e-learning sites already do something like this where you're able to choose tracks of you know learning and, and it'll bundle in kind of like, here's these courses you should go through uh, to, to do this track. So I, I think a lot of the established e-learning sites already have m- many of these elements in place. But I think this article is more speaking to the ones that are trying to grow to that next level. Um, I think
1: there's, there's something that almost everyone brought up. That's actually a really interesting topic that goes a little bit outside of e-learning. But um, uh, do you mind if I hijack this for a second? Yeah, go. go. Oh, go so this, this concept of where do people watch things? So if you've if you been paying attention to the web design talk for the last like four or five years, you'll have noticed that there was this shift. So we used to uh, have, you know, just everyone built a website and then people went to it. Then there was this very dramatic shift where people started saying, you need to build websites that fit with whatever platform people are on. So you would have these dot sites, which were basically like mobile only sites and Desktop only sites. Uh, today we have something similar in um, uh, AMP and all those crappy things that basically hijack your site and pl- show them on a different platform. But um, the converse- the overall conversation in the UX community and the uh, overall web standards community has shifted from we should try to build solutions to fit with where people are to we should try to build solutions that will fit wherever people are, um, and that's because. There was for a long time an assumption, and it was, you know, an educated guess that um, we can we can theorize and be pretty accurate in assuming under what context people are going to be when they watch something or read something. So they would say, well, this type of article people would only read on their phone. Or, you know, no one would ever buy this on their phone and make decisions like that. And that's turned out to be completely wrong because... Different people use the internet in different ways. And some people only have access to the internet through one device. So no matter what you choose as the primary platform, they'll choose something else. And with e-learning, this becomes really tricky because like Sally said, there are some uh, types of uh, learning experiences that require certain types of technology to work properly. For instance, uh, you can't do code input on a phone in an effective way Uh, at the same time. Uh, there are certain uh, instances where watching something on a phone just is not functional at all, and the big, the biggest challenge that we face right now is trying to figure out how to serve up the same material on all platforms in such a way that if people choose the wrong platform or one that's not ideal, they'll still be able to follow the experience, maybe with two devices. Because, um, like for my own experience, when I watch courses, I'll often watch the courses on my TV through my Chromecast if they are. Uh, theoretical courses. If they're practical courses, I'll maybe watch them in one browser window and then do something in the other browser window, or I'll put them on a tablet. Uh, So it all kind of depends on what context I'm in right now. And the, you know, what a hurdle is to figure out how to handle this in all circumstances. Uh, There's an additional like tangent on top of that now, because um, I was this someone, someone brought this to my attention two days ago, so I'm still, I still don't know what the hell's going on, but he sent me a bunch of links to very large websites, like extremely famous websites, like a car company, uh, an ISP, uh, a clothing company, like that kind of stuff, right? Uh, brands you've all heard of. And then he said, notice how the drop-down menu on this website works fine in some browsers and not in other browsers and it's platform dependent. And I sat there and I messed around with it for two hours. And then I realized what's happening here is Because of this thinking that we know how people interact with things based on the devices they use, there's this new design pattern that's completely broken where the drop-down menus are triggered to touchscreens. So if there's a touchscreen-enabled device, the drop-down menu only works if you touch it or click on it. But if it's, a, if it's a device without a touchscreen, then hovering a mouse over it will trigger the drop-down menu. So the end result is if you have a Windows computer and you go to it, you see a drop-down menu, but you touch it and nothing happens. And you have to actively click on it or touch it with your finger. But if you're on a Mac that doesn't have a touchscreen, then it works. And like, if you can extrapolate that kind of consequence into e-learning, you see why this is a problem. We can make assumptions about how devices work and how people work with devices, but we don't know anything about the devices that are coming down the pipe two weeks from now. They might be completely different. They might have a new type of input. And if we have made an absolute decision that changes the experience based on whatever decision, whatever device people are using or how we think they're going to use it, we are effectively locking the experience to only that scenario, not knowing what will happen in the future.
4: Yeah, I? Can I quickly respond to that, actually, John? Jump in. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm probably <laughs> because obviously um, we try and keep we try and keep this part of the show to our folks, but we could go and but there's going to be a additional discussion. Hopefully, Moulton will be able to stay around for a little while. It's just I agree with what you were saying, uh, Moulton, there, but I actually think there's a bigger, uh, a much bigger. Question um, and it's around um, Seth Golden's book, The Dip, and about you know, about how people actually learn. Because I think this is one of the biggest questions of the 21st century. You know, the research I've done on people's average intelligence is that most people are born with similar intelligent levels, but after they go through their childhood and other factors, their ability to exalt. And understand new skills is great. There's a great disparity when they get into their 20s, which wasn't there through their natural born intelligence. And obviously, information now, because of the internet, is limitless. You know, you can literally go on the internet and find out about anything, but actually learning something actually really learning something which is linked to the dip Seth Gordon we I don't think we've got to a situation where we really know does online learning does these courses really help accelerate the learning process and I still don't think and I think that's a really big question I don't know if you agree Walton.
1: Um, there's pretty significant research that shows that uh, the availability of online courses can help learning, uh, but it requires the right kind of it, it requires the course material to be formatted for the online experience, and it also requires the right kind of follow-up. So what you know, several of the panelists have been talking about, this idea of it's not just a video, it has to have additional things. Uh, it's really important. Uh, one of the one of the things that really works and I have experienced it myself because I've tried it in a classroom is what they call flipping the classroom where you would essentially either record um, a talk or a presentation or something in advance or find a video online or somewhere else that already has a presentation. So it, use a video like a textbook and then have the students watch it in advance and maybe watch it four times or whatever to they understand the material then, when they come into the classroom, instead of spending your time in the classroom explaining the material, you spend the time in the classroom working with the material, either uh, picking it apart or experimenting with it, or seeing where you can where the edges are. And essentially, you you, under, you learn or you pick up the core knowledge before you go into the classroom. And this is really hard to do if you are using uh, books because. With a book you rely on, or you require that people can read at a certain pace and that they don't have any kind of you know, dyslexia like I do and all these other issues. Whereas if it's a video, you are literally watching someone talk to you, which is much easier to process for people. And it's easier to keep people's attention span going, especially if the videos are well formatted. Uh, so flipping the classroom works really well. And <clears throat> one of the challenges for online learning is to figure out how to kind of provide the same experience of flipping the classroom. Through some sort of interactivity, uh, without having to have a person at the other end of it. Yeah, and, uh,
4: um, John. I don't know if you agree, but I think um, we should drop the second story and just go to the third uh, story, and then go for our break. What do you think, John?
0: The sure thing. You uh, go ahead. Introduce no, you it. do. It, you do it, John. Go on. <laughs> okay. So the the third story that we had on uh, deck, if if I recall, was uh, the WordPress Foundation. Is offering um, a the Kim Parcell Memorial Scholarship, uh, and people within the WordPress community remember Kim Parcell. She was known as uh, WP Mom, um, a
4: great lady. She, I
0: actually did meet her, and she was a very nice person. I did. I never had the opportunity to meet her, but uh, the details of this um, this is on the WordCamp org for the uh, WordCamp US. It's coming up. Um, the scholarship is for a woman contributor with financial need who has never attended WordCamp US before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This scholarship will cover the cost of the ticket, flight, and lodging. It will not cover um, taxis, meals outside the official event, or, or airline uh, transport. And uh, this will be fully funded by the WordPress Foundation. The application deadline is Sunday, October 16th, 12 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and a decision will be made by November 1st, and applicants will be notified. Um, so who should apply for this scholarship? Kim's experience at WordCamp San Francisco right before her death was important to her, and travel assistance made it possible. As uh, She was passionate about recruiting and recognizing other uh, female contributors, So the scholarship in her memory is limited to applicants who fulfill these four requirements. Uh, Must be a woman, and this includes trans women, uh, an active contributor to the WordPress open source project through one of the contributor teams as a local meetup or WordCamp organizer, uh, someone with a financial need, and someone who has never attended WordCamp US, which I think there's only been... Marcel uh, also had strong feelings about older women getting involved and being welcomed in the community. So, while there's no age limit on the scholarship, we would especially encourage older women to apply. Uh, what are How do your define thoughts on-
1: older women? <laughs> That's a rat's nest I don't want to get into. No, no it's not going down here <laughs> shall we morton. But But that's um, the thing though, like,
4: that is such a crazy statement. I know Old it German. is. But i think it's even though it's crazy, Morton, it's done for the right not Oh yeah, no. It's um, fine. I'll just ask Kim, um what Kim, obviously you've been um to the US um um last year and I think the year before. What 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 do you see the benefit of somebody actually applying to this and actually going, Kim? Well,
3: I, I, think, it's a, I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity if, if you have someone who is already, you know, contributing and learning. I think the benefit of, of why would you have a scholarship to WordCamp US as to something else is, it? I face it, I, I, we've only had one. But last year, the opportunity—like, what, what's the best part of WordCamp? Any WordCamp, it's the opportunity of networking with the people you meet, learning from the people you meet, connecting. Right? Uh, that's the reason you go to WordCamp. Uh, the presentations are great, but you can watch those on WordCamp TV. It's there. You're there to meet the people and, and connect. And at least last year, we'll have to see ongoing. The concept is that the WordCamp USs are where we're supposed to have, you know, more people, more high-level people, et cetera, come. I mean, I really have to admit, last year was really fun. I got to meet people I just know because of their podcast, because I've seen them on TV, because of whatever. It's where Matt does his state of the word, word uh, every year, right? And so, And there is something to that. There's an excitement about it. Um so I think it's it's a nice gesture to have a a scholarship to help somebody who is who is contributing but actually couldn't afford a trip to go and just maybe get it to the next level truly as far as if you were trying to help somebody who couldn't afford it actually learn something new for a new skill I don't know that it's going to fit that But I think it's a nice way to have something to pull someone in. And it's a nice memory for someone who I never met her. Uh, I only knew her by reputation, but but who did a lot for the community. And my understanding is kind of came into it at a time where she uh, was financially challenged and based on some type of scholarship, got to start learning. And that's how she became a contributor and all. I could be wrong. That was just the way I had read the
2: history. Jackie. I think it's a great um, program. I totally agree about the age mention in there. I just think that was just inappropriate or just not worded well. I would say we encourage, you know, women of all ages to apply or something along those lines, but it almost makes it, if you're 23 years old, you're going to apply but from what i'm reading you may not get picked because they're really looking for older women to apply so i just think they should have somebody should have proofread that before they published i think it's a great i mean i think the concept's great and i think it's wonderful to help somebody get to go to a word camp us um, that hasn't been to one and that's contributing to wordpress and can't afford to go i think that's great i it's i'd like to see that expand
3: i 'm just not sure what older women means when they say that i 'm with you morton i mean twenty three year olds think forty year olds are older and i 'm fifty two folks i don 't think forty year olds are old at all. <laughs>
4: Uh, Just to finish up, um, when John goes to break, I think Kim Pesel would be uh, joyous in the knowledge that her name is linked to this scholarship. I actually feel it would be great if it could be expanded. She contributed a great deal. I met her only once. I sensed that she was exactly what she was like online, um, and she was just a great lady. So please apply if you're young, middle-aged, old, or whatever. Um, just apply, and it would honor Kim Purcell's memory. So shall we go to the break?
1: Um, I I'd need okay. to say something here. Oh, sorry, Walton. Uh, there you go. I would take this one step further. One of the most important things we can do as a as a community is to encourage. Uh, marginalized people to become a more present part of the community. That's really hard when you are marginalized because you're marginalized. That's like the definition is that you have a hard time getting in. Uh, This type of program uh, is a very small but very important step in actively trying to get more marginalized people into the community because all the decisions that are being made in the community are being made by the people who feel included enough to feel comfortable contributing. And because we do almost everything online, it's important to meet the people in person so you understand that maybe they appear crass online, but it's just because they're like people who just are no nonsense. Or maybe they sound completely crazy, but it's actually just because they have a bizarre sense of humor like me or something else. And no way you'll ever know that. Like (laughs) I can tell you from experience, there's so many people I meet at WordCamps who say when they see me online, they see me as this extremely stern and angry person, right? Because I have no time. So I'm like, okay, I'll just leave a thing. Like, this is wrong, or here's how to do it right, or we should discuss this first. And then people are like, oh, he's being very – and then they meet me in person. They're like, well, you're nothing like that. You're like this jovial, crazy, you know, no-nonsense guy. And this, the only way you'll find that out is if you meet them. And it's really important that we encourage every type of person who would choose to use WordPress to come to events. And if someone has any kind of encumbrance, be that financial, social, anything like that, we it is incumbent upon us to make sure that those hindrances are removed. So the Kim Personnel uh, uh, Scholarship is step one. The next step is for all the major companies that are sponsoring WordCamps to do something similar, to say that each, like if each of these companies would say, we are going to sponsor a person to come to WordCamp every year so that more people get the opportunity. Because, you know, for every one person that gets a scholarship, there are thousands who can't because there's only one. But if all companies, Automatic, 10Up, like every, all the big companies that have the money spend the money on, Actually, bringing people to the camp instead of spending money on sponsoring t-shirts, then we'll all benefit from it. Because, in the end, the whole community benefits from more inclusion. Not just the person who comes; everyone benefits from that.
0: I could not agree with you more, Morton. I, I think our strength is in our diversity of experience, of perspective, of um, you know, just more people and that includes uh bringing in as many marginalized people as possible uh technology overall like has a problem with that and i think as a community that's one way that we can continue to grow and be better than the rest of the you know other web communities out there uh is is to make everyone feel included so uh with that we will go to our first break, and then we'll come back with our main topic, which is resources for continuing your web education. See you after the break.
2: Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad, and you can find her at
0: karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're coming back from the break. And we're with our WordPress panel, talking resources for continuing your web education. Uh, we, before we get into the main topic, just want to remind everyone uh, there is bonus content for these pod- podcast episodes on the WP Tonic website. Uh, we encourage you to go to the website and check out uh, the bonus material that you won't find in the podcast alone. Uh, So here's a question for the panel. Um, When it comes to like resources, um, you know, like web learning and stuff like that, if you were a brand new person uh, wanting to enter the web development space, what are some resources that you would recommend? And how does that differ from like how you came in? Uh, Start with Morton.
1: Wow. Uh, that's the question I get all the time. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, I have a slight bias here. Yeah, we know. Cool. <laughs> just so that's clear. Um, uh, this is a challenge that I've been working with really aggressively over the last year, in fact, to try to uh, create uh, learning paths for people who are just entering. Uh, the, the I think the biggest challenge uh, for someone entering the space now is that it's not simple anymore. You can't say, learn HTML and CSS, and then you're fine. Uh, when you go into the space, you're like, so learn HTML and CSS and JavaScript and JavaScript libraries, and also some frameworks and accessibility and content management and content uh, strategy and all these other things. So it's very all in, uh, it's very overwhelming when you come in. Um, I think if you want to learn something, you can come to us. We have learning paths for that stuff, but uh, you should really think about where do you want to go for the first uh, period of time? Like, what, what, what is your uh, smaller goal, right? Instead of saying, I want to be a web developer, say, I want to uh, build this type of web experience or this type of app or this type of whatever, and then figure out what are the core technologies that power this and focus on the core technologies first, because that's w- I feel like that's what we're missing in um, a large part of the web community is core understanding of core technologies. Uh, People are very focused on, like, learning React, but no one is learning JavaScript, which is kind of important if you're going to learn React. Um, So uh, when people come to me and ask the question, I generally say, start with the basics. Like, the, the three things you must learn if you're going to work on the web, on the front end, are core HTML, core CSS, and core JavaScript. There are a ton of different resources out there for that. You can come to us at LinkedIn Learning to learn it. You can go to any number of other uh, learning sites. Uh, You can do it yourself. You can use interactive tools, but learning the core structure is extremely important. After you learn HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, um, focus on understanding the actual communication part of building content for the web. That means accessibility, it means uh, content, uh, content strategy, and it means uh, basic user experience. At that point, you can start piling on everything else because when you have those components, you actually have enough of a foundation to extend anywhere else. Uh, in the WordPress community, people often say, uh, "You know, to become a WordPress developer, you need to focus on things like um, uh, hooks and filters and you know, really advanced content." Uh, what I always say is. If you want to be a professional WordPress developer, you need to know how to build the same thing without WordPress. If you are tied to WordPress, then you're basically not like then you don't have enough knowledge to be valuable to the community as a whole, your own or like the web community, because if WordPress for whatever reason goes away or something new comes along, you need to have the ability to quickly shift to that new thing. And this aggressive shift towards JavaScript is kind of showing that where a large portion of the web community as a whole is very focused on PHP and JavaScript is this completely different animal that everything is different. And people are having a very hard time learning that because they've been so embedded in PHP for so long that it's like nothing ever existed except PHP.
0: No, that's, that's really great. (laughs) Kim. When Kim, tell us about like how how you first learned the web and and how would you know what are some sites, some resources you know that you, that you would send people to like now if they were wanting to learn?
3: How I first learned the web Well, HTML had just come out. We were I was a UNIX administrator back then. Uh, we weren't even on Solaris yet, folks We were on SunOS, and we were uh, hand coding help files in VI. HTML markup. That was it. There wasn't even CSS. Then CSS was coming in. Front page wasn't even out. So we didn't even have, you know, regular old people trying to put that on Windows and create it. So that's how I learned. <laughs> and it was just really basic. Um, and I've successfully forgotten all, almost all of that, except for, I think, two commands in vi. Um, I, now I think I 100%... Morton, you're right. You've got to, you've got to take on the bigger picture as far as what you're going to learn. And I, strong. I'm not really strong on where I go to learn a lot of that. Oh, look at the baby. Oh. Uh, where I go to learn a lot of that, you know, I would probably when I've needed updates for myself, I've done some Code School and Code Academy, and then I've just found some other resources. But I didn't have a full list. My biggest my biggest recommendation for people actually though, doesn't come around the code itself. It comes around if if you decide to be a web developer, wherever you go to get your technical skills, if your intention is not to work for a company as an employee, you want to be a web developer because you want to build your own little business, is that you go out and get some business classes and some business experience and knowledge not just the technical knowledge. Because I see so many developers who end up actually being customers of mine, not because I want to do that, but because they know they know the technical, but then they don't know how to work with customers and how to do a discovery call and how to price and, and that type of thing. So I would really recommend, um, uh, if, if any of you know Judy Knight, she speaks at some of the WordCamps. She uh, spoke at WordCamp US. She uh, owns an agency in Atlanta and and used to be that run the meetup there in Atlanta, Georgia. She actually has a class, uh, an online course that she runs for people who want to be web developers from the business perspective. It's not the technical perspective. So I would recommend either her or something like that to learn the business side of it because the technical piece is just one part if you want to make a living at it on your own.
0: Thank you so much. That's like great advice. And I, I agree with what both you and Morton said, there is like a philosophy behind it. It's not just knowing how to put a and B together in like get C it's, it's knowing the basics of not only the technology, but knowing how to work in business. And I think a great weakness of a lot of developers in the WordPress ecosystem and the web development ecosystem in general is a lot of people have never done anything but web development. And they don't really understand the business aspect of it. Um, And so I think it's very important to learn that as well. Uh, Jackie, what are some... Sorry guys, I have to go. <laughs> Leo, thank you so much for your time.
4: thanks, thanks,
0: Thank you, appreciate it so much. See you then. Ah. Jackie, what are what are some great resources? And I know what, at least one that you're going to say, but but give us some from some really good resources for for learning uh, whatever it is that you want to throw at us.
2: On the business front, I know LinkedIn Learning is probably, lynda.com, LinkedIn Learning is prob- has a great library of courses that can help you with business skills as well. And even like writing skills. I, I just took a course on there, business writing skills. And it was something I could watch on my iPad. It didn't require me to do any data entry or anything, but it was a great reminder for me just oh, I had forgotten about some of these concepts or they just refreshed them in my mind. And it just made me more aware when I'm writing emails and just um, communicating with folks um, some new techniques that I hadn't considered. So that that's a good example there. I mean, my background, I learned coding while immersed in running my own business all at the same time. So I learned from the school of hard knocks, uh, how to deal with customers and problems and write code all around the same time. I was a base coder. So we're talking long before the internet ever even came around. So my business skills came from just actually having to do it. I ran that company for eight years and sold it at the end of that. So that was one set of experiences. I worked for IT um, back then; they called them IT consulting firms. we were like a boutique agency. I did sales there for four years, and I got a lot of great experience working with clients and um, communicating, and all of those things. I later reintroduced back into the world and started doing web development again. And um, there's a lot of similarities to coding back when I was in DBASE. I mean, there's a lot of things that look very familiar, um, but but still different. So. If you if you want to learn, you know, first decide, you know, what area are we going to focus on? If you're going to be learning business things, and there's some great resources for that, I think the LinkedIn Learning is probably good. I mean, there's great YouTube videos you can watch on um, business courses, too. If you want to learn coding, I definitely agree with what Morton said about learning the basics. That's really important, and I think many people in the WordPress community struggle with that because their first introduction into coding was within the WordPress space. So all they know is WordPress coding. Um, So when it comes to having to write HTML5 and having to start working in SaaS and other concepts and um, you know gulp workflows and all these things that really have nothing to do with WordPress anymore, that's where the challenge comes. So tools like um, Treehouse, I like Treehouse a lot, and I do, like I said, I like lin, uh, LinkedIn.com. I do like Treehouse for different reasons. Um, I enjoy their code courses quite a bit. I really do uh, there, and I like their um, quizzes that they have after each little segment, and I get to to do some hands-on work with that. That helped me learn how to do CSS animation and transitions and transforms recently. I uh, Gil Hernandez is a great um, instructor at Treehouse. I if you have a tree subscription and you haven't seen his courses he's i I really would highly recommend watching his he's very good so those are my two favorite go-to places uh know the code.io is another one that i get some really good help with on uh, especially on the genesis framework and basic wordpress coding um, instructions are there they're very good videos there those would be my top three things but then you got to remember i'm a video learner so everybody needs to do you know, how you prefer to learn. If you like to order textbooks and read them then, and that's how you really learn well, then you should do that. For me, that doesn't work at all. I fall asleep on page two and you know, I've joked and my friends know I've read very few books, literally read them in my life because I have a hard time doing that. I um, get very distracted easily. I fall asleep. It's, It's a struggle for me to read a book. But if I listen to a book, it's fantastic for me. That's a great way. And so, you know, as, as time has moved on for us, we all of these new ways of learning have come about and you have audio books and, you know, you can, uh, that, that has opened up a world of, um, extra learning for me as well. So I think know what you're know, how you like to absorb content and how you, and how you best learn, and then look for, um, the sources that provide a trusted, source of information. And that's what I'm saying though. The reason why I go to LinkedIn Learning or Treehouse or some others is because I know their content is updated, it is researched, it is authoritative, and I can rely on that versus watching a video, say on YouTube, where you don't know who wrote it or when it was really done, Uh, especially on the really technical ones, I would say, you know, do your homework, make sure that you're getting your information from somebody you trust.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Tanya Mark over it. Uh, know the code. and now know the business. Uh, she's definitely like someone that I would trust. Uh, I love how you put that too. You know, learn the business aspects as well, and and find sources that you trust. And one other thing that I I want to you know also like unpack for the listeners is know your learning style. Not everybody learns in the same way, just like we all have different types of uh, like multiple intelligences. We all have different types of learning styles, ways that we absorb information. Some people read and that's how they learn. Some people like watch and that's how they learn. Some people learn by doing um, or some people learn by hearing. So uh, that's definitely something to to know. Uh, Jonathan, what? Uh you know, tell us a little bit about like how you first learned <laughs> web development and like resources that, that you would oh, point to. Sure I know it like now.
4: A bit rusty, but um I I started in the old days, John, in the old days. Um Um I got really interested in like to nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight and I was knocking up some sites using Dreamweaver. Um, it was in the days of macromedia I was around, and then I and then um, I was running a really successful business, but I had this thing. I, I want to go to university, and I, I'm the I'm the second person in my family that's ever gone to university. And my local university was doing a course in multimedia; they called it, and um, I joined it. And they were doing stuff in, and this going to be totally unheard of by a lot of people they were using something called Director for Macromedia mm-hmm. because they were still obsessed with CD-ROMs and um, they also threw in a load of Visual Basic which I hated with a passion but um, um, but the uh, Director and Flash they were uh, and I got my first professional checks actually people giving me money um, as I, I, i'm embarrassed to admit it i was a i was a flash designer developer for a freelancer and i knocked up some of these really very elaborate um flash intros that people hate with a passion now but um i got really quite obsessed with that and um, I was doing okay, plus running my own business. Then the dot com crash of two thousand happened, and a lot of freelance work just dried up for eighteen months. But I was lucky; I had my main business, and I got a bit kind of peeved off with the whole industry because of the dot com crash. And then, I, with my with my ex wife, we decided to move to America, and um, I thought I'd better brush up on my skills. So I I joined um, a community college course, which were lovely people, but they didn't. I knew a lot more about web development than my instructors, so that was a bit of a waste of time. But it gave me eighteen months off, though, and I did, and I got into WordPress, John.
0: Very excellent. Uh, What do you think are some like good resources right now for people Uh, to learn? I don't know. Uh, First of all, I think um, I
4: just. going to commit suicide i'm going to slightly disagree with malton here um i think it's really really difficult for people to right find the right path um it really depends are you going to go and work for somebody or are you going but even that you've pointed out to me that the reality of working with a small agency is you're going to be expected to be a multitasker one of the areas that hasn't is that you're not only are you in a small agency or a freelancer it's really very dependent on budget but on a lot of cases you're going to be expected to be the graphic designer the project manager the the coder and also the seo expert all in one and um that's That's practically impossible for anybody. You might know some bits. Um, I personally feel I would, you know, if there's two paths to go down. There's the non-WordPress path, I call it, which is HTML, CSS, Ruby on Rails, basically, with some JavaScript. Um, I know JavaScript is, you know, the frameworks are the big buzzword. But when you really look at any real project, they tend to go to Ruby and Rails still, even though it's not the favorite anymore. Um, If you're going to go down the WordPress, CSS, HTML, and you're going to have to learn a certain level of PHP, But if you're going down the Drupal or or Joomla route, you're going to have to use PHP. And then try and, uh, you know, obviously the easiest route is uh, jQuery um, because the syntax is very similar to CSS. Um, Diving into one of the other frameworks, you can do it. But um, that's a hell of a lot to learn already, isn't it, John?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so definitely I, I, I'll tell you just a little bit, like really quick, um, how I learned and, and, and then we'll go to our final break. Um, a lot of people that you meet in the web industry, they, they've got like this long, you know, they, or they're, and especially now with young, younger people, like maybe their one of their parents was a designer or a programmer, or, or they were always on the computer. Not for me. Um, they're in intent- 10th, when I was 10 in fifth grade we had like a computer lab so I learned a little bit of basic uh, back around 1980 (laughs) and uh, I think when I was thirteen, like one of my neighbors had a Commodore 64 so we did a couple programs like on the cassette tape Uh, and that was it and I didn't really own a computer again until I was until about 1998 but I never got into development up until around 2009. And for me, it was like a career change, because I had a whole blue-collar uh, career before that, Was working managing bakeries, and I was working in a factory bakery. Um, and I didn't really know about stuff like com. I didn't know about Treehouse. I think it was still Think Vitamin at that point. Um, and so I ended up doing, like, online school, like University of Phoenix which is like a lot of money. Um, I wouldn't suggest that you do that. Um, if you could do like a local community college, um, that's better. The one thing I will say, like the accredited schools, they take a long time to approve curriculum. So a lot of their information is going to be a few years behind. But it accomplished one thing. It kept me on the, on the path toward learning. Um, what I did was pick up some different books that I was like hearing about, like Jeffrey Zeldman's, Designing with Web Standards, uh, the Blue Book. I read that one. Um, so, you know, learned the basics of HTML, CSS, stuff like that. Learned, like, why things should be the way that they are. Um, and just built, like, a lot of stuff in in flat HTML and CSS. Uh, learned responsive design because that was, like, the new thing. Bought a lot of the books from the A uh, Book Apart series. So learned it's just kind of the basics of HTML5, CSS3, as those things were, like, rolling out. Um, but just, like, followed a lot of those early guys, you know, Jeremy Keith, Andy Clark, Jeffrey Zeldman, Chris Coyier, uh from CSS Tricks, a lot of those guys. Um, as I went along, learned stuff from Treehouse. Um, I actually met a lot of those guys in San Francisco when I was, like, really early in. Um did some stuff on code school, uh, which is okay. They have kind of tracks in a similar way. Uh Code Academy, uh similar thing. And then kind of like found WordPress and it became more focused on that. And there weren't like really resources for that at the time. I think there is a book by Chris Coyier and and another guy whose name escapes me, uh called yeah. Digging It Digging into yeah. WordPress it kind of went from there. Um, yeah, I'm
4: going to ask a quick question, though, John. You yeah. Know, if you're looking at a second career, uh, uh, you know, it's, a, it's probably an impossible question. But how long do you think, realistically, it would take somebody to get to a level where they can actually charge people and be reasonably effective? Obviously, it's an ongoing process but do you think it takes a couple years,
0: three years? Oh, yeah, definitely a couple of years. I would say a couple of years, and that's why it's really important to focus on the business aspects too because um, it took me about two years to, like, get through school while working, like, full-time plus, as, as you understand, um, you know, that it takes a while. And, uh, you know, first websites at soul were, like, pitifully low uh, amounts, super low amounts. I would, yeah, I would slap myself now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're to charge that a little bit. Um, but you know what I mean? It was just experience. Um, and now it, it's taken me a few more years to kind of get to like a level where it's like, you know, um, things are like, okay. You know what I mean? So it, it depends on like, I think like how much time you put into it. But I think you can learn a lot. I mean, business-wise um, and just knowledge-wise and just experience-wise, just learn from what other people have done. Um, and just charge like a decent amount, you know, even if you think you don't necessarily should be charging a lot, at least like charge enough to live off of. I think that's the biggest mistake. A lot of, of people make in the business end of it.
4: Yeah. And some of the, um, you know, um, I, I, I learned a lot from CSS tricks. See, um, I've got a soft pot, soft spot for, uh, Chris. He's a, he's a yeah. bit of a maniac, but he's a great guy. Uh, um, some of his um, videos are um, when he gets super hyped up are hilarious, but I learned a lot from him, and I do recommend his course, The Lodge, because um, it's one person that's written it all, and um, for the money, I think um, I think you would learn a lot from the. You know, you need a certain level of CSS and HTML and And his book, um, which also, I forget, his um, co-host, co-writer, Digging into WordPress, is really good. I also learned a lot. um, I'm a bit like Jackie. I, I prefer videos. But one book that taught me a fair bit about WordPress, and you don't want to be deterred by the actual title, is Professional WordPress Plugin Development. It's one of those rocks books. But um, I don't know if it's a bit outdated now because it was published in March 2011. But I did learn a lot about WordPress from going through that particular book. And it is multiple authors, but Justin um, Tadlock and Brian Williams are pretty, um, and Ozzy Richards, they're pretty well known in the WordPress community. And um, you learn a lot about WordPress. Um, uh, by reading and going through that particular book I feel Um, the other resource is um, Pippin Williams and he's got a lot of good training courses um, Mm -hmm. that deal in Pacific areas Uh, what always stuck in my mind about Pippin is he had somebody actually whinging on his forum about coughing up three dollars for one of his courses and he said um can you imagine my response john but um uh, pippin went through all the logical things why the value is getting this person was getting for his three dollar investment john
0: yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I, would, I would slap the taste right out of his mouth you know if i was pippin so he showed mm-hmm. a lot of restraint there so He's a very restrained person, isn't he?
4: Very calm, isn't he? Definitely.
0: Um, I think we're up against our last break. Yeah, let's go Um, for a break and then come back and finish off, shall we? Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, from our break, we're talking resources for continuing your web education. Uh, and want to remind you, you can find bonus content for this episode and all our podcast episodes over on the WP Tonic website. Uh, so I want to ask, just kind of rapid fire here, uh, just ask everybody in the panel, name like, you know, what what are five or six resources that we haven't Touched on yet that, that you would recommend to people that maybe you know people don't know about and, and why you'd recommend those? And I'll start with Kim.
3: I don't have five or six I haven't mentioned, yet. <laughs> <laughs> like not off the top of my head.
4: I'm gonna have to go grab a list.
3: Um, yeah.
4: So let's, let's go, let's help Kim out. Um, let's go to Jackie first, then, shall we, John? And because um, Kim, um, Jackie, you're more in the Genesis um camp than me and john really um so um first of all can you explain you know why why you decided to go for the genesis and have you got any kind of specific resources around genesis that really helped you
2: i really like genesis because i think it's easier and to configure and build websites than just using straight WordPress. It's like a nice layer that sits on top with a lot of hooks and filters that make it easy to configure um, a site up. Uh, so I've chosen to work in that. I think I, I, I work faster and, uh, and it's a lot less things to tinker with some good resources. I mean, when I first started using Genesis, um, there was probably, there wasn't a lot. Studio Press was probably my go-to for a lot of code examples. And then uh, Shreethart, Catacam opened up his website. It was originally um, free content, and he was sharing a lot of code examples there. And they were very theme specific, which was great. If you had purchased a specific theme on StudioPress and you wanted to know how to do some things in there, that was a great intro on how to how to kind of get that started. That was that was one. Now today, if I was going to start with Genesis, um, like I said, Tanya Mork probably has the best course on learning Genesis at knowthecode.io. It's a you know monthly paid plan. So that would be where I would go if I wanted to learn Genesis. She really goes into the nuts and bolts of how it all works. Carrie Dills had a good course, a couple of good courses on uh, Linda about genesis as well and kind of went through the basics of how that framework works and how you would do some things and i know that carrie and morton both did if you ever really wanted to understand how that all works is morton built the site without genesis using i think underscores maybe or something and carrie built hers using genesis and you could see they both did the same end product and you could kind of see the differences between the two and why you would want to choose one over the other. I found that whole series really helpful as well. So those are a couple of resources that I would go. The other thing too is follow some bloggers that you know, that do that write really good articles. Depending on what level you're at and where you are, you know, you would talk network with some people on Twitter and in your social media about who they follow and who they Blog posts they really like. I mean, there's like people like Tom McFarland just put out consistently just really helpful content, especially if you're more of, um, you know, modern, medium to advanced user there. He covers a lot of good concepts for that. Uh, And there's a lot of other people that do, too. So that would be kind of where I go. And if you're, like, wanting to learn about SEO or anything, Rebecca Gill over at um, Web Savvy Marketing gives a lot of free advice, does a lot of podcast interviews and um, webinars where they're helping teach with that. That's probably one of the best um, areas I think you could focus on to add value for clients if you're, doing, if you're working for clients or you're building websites. Even if you're working at an agency and you're building websites, that is a really great skill to have because it is a value add service for anybody to provide for clients because there's no point in building a container And putting content in it if it's not going to do anything.
4: So, certainly true, Jackie. So, you know, just to um, delve a little bit deeper, you know, you know, you got, you know, it sounds like you got into WordPress like a lot of people, and you chose Genesis. So, you learned your your HTML, your CSS, but then you had to deal with PHP. Um, What were some of the things that helped you on that particular, you know, you're dealing with WordPress, PHP, aren't you? What were, reflecting back, what, what were some of the things that really, was it mostly Linda that helped with that?
2: I think there was, there was a couple of good courses for PHP on Linda. I think David Powers is the Mm -hmm. instructor that taught those. They were very good. If you wanted to get a good overview of how PHP works before you even started to get exposed to how it works in WordPress, because there are differences in Mm -hmm. the coding standard that that WordPress uses, you need to kind of get a feel for how that works as well. Um, And then, you know, if you get a code editor like Adam and you can kind of get it to where it'll lend it for you and, Um, apply those coding standards when you reformat things, that's really helpful. But learning those basic PHP courses was very helpful in understanding the code uh, when you start looking at the WordPress code and how things work there. I think the biggest challenge for most everybody was understanding how these hooks and filters all work. That, the apply filters, add filter, um, add action, that's the biggest source of confusion about what that does and how that works. Um, Tanya Mark, again, does a great job of explaining how that all works and why and what the differences are. If you understand that, you can work very easily in WordPress. And then, of course, the next layer is, you know, JavaScript is much more, um, you know, there's more weight being put on adding those things into WordPress as well. So you're going to need that.
4: Would you agree with me that if you are looking at um, JavaScript, that jQuery is probably the easiest route to go initially?
2: If you're doing WordPress, it is because it's already included in WordPress. So you're not having to load that again. It's already there. So it's not like you're having to load up another um, framework. But um, would
4: you agree that the syntax has yes, some similarities to Yes, it is. And I, like,
2: I agree with you. The, the um, CSS similarities to it is easier, and I think if you're starting off. But I definitely think before you even did that, it would be a good idea to take a basic JavaScript course just to understand the syntax and how that works because it'll make it even easier when you're working in jQuery. I'm not saying you have to take an advanced or intermediate course in JavaScript, but a basic one would be a great foundation. I don't know. What do you think, Kim? I absolutely agree. Just at the basic overview is
3: good. The other one I would throw out in there, I'd like to add to it that I didn't have before, is if you're going to do WordPress, really, almost any development now but focusing on WordPress, a quick overview, not a detailed class, but a quick overview of understanding how the databases work yeah. is very. I mean, Jackie, you were a based programmer. I was a database administrator. And as the dynamic sites came into being, there have been so many times I got a call for support that just the basic understanding of the database would have solved their problem.
2: That is a good point. I had a call from a client the other day. They had. I don't know, three hundred posts that they not they wanted to put in draft status because they, they need to go through all of these. It was ported over from another system. And they go, is there an easy way to do that? And I said, Yes. I can just go into the database and change that to draft on all of those that meet this condition. And they were like, How would you do that? And I was like, Oh, this is like it's just D based <laughs> to me. It's like there's really no difference. I was like, Yeah, I could just do run a run an update and just go ahead and do it. And, Oh wow, that saved me—you know—hours of going through and marking all these by hand. So knowing, you're right, knowing how to maneuver and work in the database and how stuff is stored in there. And then even, I, I took some course, and I'm sure it was probably on on Linda also, but it was understanding what serialized data is in WordPress in the database because that's another whole source of confusion, and you know, people Jackie, are not sure Jackie, why. Jackie,
4: Jackie, yeah, just beca- you just become a Linda junkie haven't you it's <laughs> facts do you have any do you do anything else rather than developing and watching linda
2: no no i use treehouse too
3: <laughs> treehouse is good i like it there's also I'd, I'd have to pull the links but there are a couple of free courses several free courses out there by universities that are pretty good on sql basics and database basics and again, I'm not saying you have to go to a DBA level, but just those basics uh, can really help you. Like Jackie said, like with your example, uh, if if you've crashed a site and you're trying to restore, those basic understandings can help. Yeah. If your restoration's not working 100%. It, 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 it does, face it, it the database good. is critical to WordPress, so a little bit of knowledge there is good.
4: So John, shall we go shall we wrap this up and then just have a, a bonus period on you? Yeah, let's
0: wrap it up and go into bonus content cuz I definitely have some stuff that uh that I want to put in here that we we did in a previous version of this episode and people can find that on the WP Tonic website exclusively. So, yeah. So for the if, let's let the panel like uh tell us where they can find themselves. Um Kim, where can we find you?
3: I'm Kim Shivler. You can find me at howtobuildanonlinecourse.com or whiteglovewebtraining.com and on Twitter
2: at Kim Shivler.
0: Awesome. Jackie, how do we get a hold of you?
2: You can find me at JackieDalia.com or at jdelia on Twitter. And I'm also recording podcasts over at Rethink.fm.
0: And definitely everyone go subscribe to that right now. Jonathan, how did they get a hold of you?
4: Oh, I think the two easiest way, folks, is you know you can use the old method, email, and I, I do check it a couple of times a day, so it won't be days before you get a reply. And that's at Jonathan at wp dot com. And the other way I do check that normally a couple of times a day is also my Twitter, at Jonathan Denwood. And I've had a few people remark that I get a pretty quick reply if they um, direct message me or message me in any way there. So they're the two best ways, John.
0: And you can get a hold of me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at Lockdown Underscore. And before we sign off, I'd just like to remind everyone, if you're getting value from this web uh, show, our twice-weekly podcast at all, I'd encourage you to head on over to iTunes, leave us a review, uh, five stars if you're feeling generous, uh, because those reviews just you know let people know uh, what you enjoy about the show. Those reviews really help other people find uh our podcast, so I would totally appreciate that. And you could subscribe as well, but definitely uh, leave us a review uh, for WP Tonic. Uh, this is John signing off. And for Jonathan, uh, Jackie, and Kim, we will catch you on the WP Tonic website. <laughs>